Hello, this is Adam S. Leslie, co-host of this very podcast. A quick plug before we start, my folk horror novel, Lost in the Garden, is now out and available in all good bookshops, including Blackwells and Waterstones. And now, back to your regularly scheduled Retrotube. and welcome to another episode of Retrotube, the show where two best friends use their inherent laziness to their advantage by watching old telly from the 60s, 70s and 80s and then having a good chat about it afterwards. This week it's once more my turn and I'm leaving the sunny climes of North America and the 60s spy scene in general for a little remembered CITV show starring the much loved and much missed comedy legend Rick Mayle. Yes folks, it's Jack and Ori with Attitude. So pop on your stripy blue gym jams, your carpet slippers and dressing gown, and cuddle up in your favourite sentient armchair, because it's time for some grim tales. Grim Tales was a 22-episode show that ran over two series, one released in 1989 and one in 1991, so this marks it as the most modern show we're likely to cover on Retrotube. Boasting some of the finest and most downright gruesome stories from the Brothers Grimm's back catalogue, the show featured Rick Mayle dressed in pyjamas and a dressing gown, narrating the stories in 10-minute long episodes, from the comfort of a walking armchair with big paws, ostrich legs, and a slightly cantankerous personality of its own. With animation that flitted wildly between the Gillian-esque and the Muppety, the show was brought beautifully to life thanks to Rick's incredible narration and the hilarious writing skills of Anne Caulfield and one of my literary heroes, Anthony Horowitz. Grim Tales is a show that has pretty much shaped my life and, frankly, a lot of my family's dialogue since 1989. But, Adam, had you ever seen the show? What were you expecting and did you enjoy it? I'd neither seen it nor heard of it before you mentioned it, oddly, which uh, is strange. You'd think I'd remember something from 1989. I would. Uh, I think we didn't really watch CITV much. This is probably the thing. Yeah, and quite posh. By 1989, I was 13, 14, so I was probably considering myself far too old and sophisticated for storytelling. Yes, sir. Even Rick Mayle. Wow. Too old for Rick Mayle? <laughs> How dare. How very dare. I know. It's uh, blasphemy. Uh, so, yeah, I'd never come across this at all. I'm old enough, of course I'm old enough, to have remembered uh, George's Marvellous Medicine on Jack and Ori, which will have been what inspired this generally, I think. And, um, yeah, for anyone not familiar with Jack and Ori, it was a very long-running um, storytelling thread on BBC, going from at least the 60s, possibly the 50s, and it had well-known people telling stories directly to camera as this is and they do an entire book in five days and uh certainly growing up the the ones you i think a lot of people and certainly me were always most excited about were the bernard cribbins or kenneth williams ones they you know you always knew they were going to be really good and entertaining but uh, in 1987 we had Rick Mayle doing George's Marvellous Medicine. Did you see George's Marvellous Medicine? No. Ah, have you seen George's Marvellous Medicine? No, I haven't. My sisters have. Ah, well, I think you'd like it if you like this. We are a family of, of Rick Mayle fans in general. Excellent taste. I remember when I was very small, the three people I admired most, and genuinely, when I say when I was very small, I was about three, the three people I, I wanted to be when I grew up were Bugs Bunny Murdoch from the A-Team and Vivian from the Young Ones. Wow, so you... Vivian from the Young Ones? Yeah. Ah. You, you like the anarchic characters? Yeah, I don't know if I've grown up like that. <laughs> <laughs> you like Zany, and of course you're a... a as many people who, who know you will... Well, anyone who knows you will know, you're a, a massive Keith Moon fan. Yes, So you like yes, the I sort am. of zany, out-of-control, anarchic sort of people. I do, I do. They are my people. Uh, yeah, so I've like grown up knowing about, for example, the the young ones, um, Kevin Turvey. As I said in the intro, I didn't realise until I was rewatching them again, and, and I have have seen them quite a few times, sort of since nineteen eighty nine. But we all, as a family, watched them 
to, even though even though it was just on CITV, there are quotes from it that I didn't even realise had seeped into our everyday language that we will use on a daily basis. Things like, lovely, lovely, lovely. Um, uh, <laughs> every time we've walked on peas, we've always slipped and fallen over and no more silk pyjamas <laughs> and a cushion by the fire for you. Um, <laughs> well, let's bend. We shall see. Uh, thing, things like that. It's probably the... the first show that kind of it wasn't just a thing our Heather was into and so we were aware of it by osmosis it was a thing that the entire family genuinely loved watching together and oh, because there's, good. there's such a huge age gap between everybody in the family it was really a thing that brought us all together and also when I I have some really really vivid memories of the way this this show has, has shaped me. I remember watching Rapunzel when it was first aired. I think Rapunzel's probably, spoiler alert, Rapunzel's probably my favourite. I think it was my favourite as well, spoiler alert. That's got that <laughs> question out of the way. <laughs> oh, right, okay, well, there you go. Uh, I, remember, I remember watching it and thinking, I want to make people laugh. I want to make people laugh and I want to tell people stories and I want people to laugh as much as I'm laughing now. And I was five. I was definitely five when I watched it because wow. I I saw the the air date on I on IMDb and it was like mm. it's like a month before my birthday, my sixth birthday. So even then, and we moved from a village in near Southport when um, when I was six to Chorley, which seemed like millions of miles away to me at the time. Um, and as I was leaving, as I was leaving school to go to another one. The teacher that I got said, there's no point in you getting involved in any of the any of the stuff that we're doing. And I'm just going to leave you to your own devices. Um, our classroom had a computer in 1989. Ooh, fancy. I know, so fancy. And she said, what, what would you like to do? And I said, I want to write a story. And she said, you want to write a story? Are you sure? I said, yeah, yeah, I want to write a story. So she sat me down at the computer, opened the whatever the predecessor of Word was, and said, well, there you go. You just press these little buttons with the alphabet on and they should come up on the screen. And then when it's done, we can print it out. And I was like, OK. So I wrote, I rewrote Rapunzel almost exactly verbatim the the, the, the episode because I knew it that well. Um, so wow. obviously we had them all taped and, and watched them again and again and again. I'd done this and obviously I was like six at the time. Um, uh <laughs> I, I wrote this story that was like about five pages of of text, which was quite a lot for a six-year-old. Um, the teacher was like, oh, my God, the kid's a genius. <laughs> <laughs> she's she's hilarious. <laughs> this, should be, this stuff should be on television. <laughs> there was a lot of that. Um, uh, I, brought, uh, I brought it home and the, the, I think the, the, the teacher spoke to my dad and was like, your daughter's written this story and it's genuinely funny. And my dad started reading it and, she, and he was like, uh, yeah, that's <laughs> that's the Grim Tales version, that. And she was like, well, so I, I, I punked a teacher. <laughs> <laughs> and you put a lot of effort into punking a teacher as I well. really did, I really did. I mean, that's quite a skill to be able to just, to, to be able to remember it and copy it out at that age. I don't think I would have been able to do something like that. I didn't think of that, to be fair. <laughs> and I think watching the episodes again, potentially you watching them for the first time and knowing me for as long as you've known me, which is about mm. 982 years now. I think it's 983 now. Yeah, I think. Almost. You just had the anniversary. Yeah, yeah. Oh, happy anniversary. I love you. <laughs> happy anniversary. Yay. Um, I think you. I think this show shows you where my sense of humour developed from. There's very right. there's so much of me <laughs> of my sense of humour in this. It's a great show, and I would definitely recommend anybody with even the smallest inkling of sense of humour just get on that and get and watch because they're all on YouTube. They're all very fuzzy on YouTube, but they're, but they're, they're quite, there nonetheless. They're quite fuzzy. You get you you get accustomed to it, I think. Well, I'm surprised you haven't watched George's Marvelous Medicine because it is it's. Rick Mayle doing Roald Dahl. So it's like two of your favourite things coming together. Yeah, I, I know. I'm quite surprised I'm not I just haven't I, well, I haven't well, accessed do it. it. Do it. All right. <laughs> you'll you'll love it. Yeah, I, I remember watching that at the time and even at the age so that was nineteen eighty seven he did George's Marvelous Medicine. 
And it did seem to be a bit of a coup and a bit something out of the ordinary to have one of the young comedians. And we would have been familiar with him because uh, the I didn't watch the young ones. I was too young for the young ones. The living doll Cliff Richard and the young ones sim- single came out in 86. That was the first single I ever bought. And everyone in everyone in my primary school loved Living Doll, and, and like they would do recreations of it, and they'd get you know somebody would sing the main song, and then other. I, I still have this memory of I can't remember who was singing. I th- and I think this might have just been the girls doing this over on the girls' side, but somebody was singing the cliff part, and then there's like three or four of them. Others of them would rise up from behind the table and go living doll and then drop back down again this is like <laughs> 10 year olds doing this yeah we all loved that even if we hadn't seen the young one show we loved the the living doll single so we knew who rick mail was and it did seem in 1987 something of a, a coup to have this anarchic young comedian from the dark side of television from the night side coming into our children's programmes and watching it, it did feel like something special. It's easy to sort of look back and proclaim these things in hindsight, go, oh, yes, we knew we knew this was different and we knew this was special. But actually, genuinely at the time, it's like, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm watching something special here. I went back and looked at a clip of um, George's Marvelous Medicine to, to compare it to Grim Tales. And it's actually a lot more subdued, subdued than I remember and, and more subdued than Grim Tales. Grandma, who was dozing in her chair by the window, opened one wicked little eye and said, Now you heard your mother, George. Don't forget my medicine. No, Grandma, said George. And just try and behave yourself for once while she's away. Yes, Grandma, said George. Looking after that grisly old grunion of a grandma all by himself was hardly the most exciting way to spend a Saturday morning. Yeah, well, it was BBC, you see, so they were a lot more refined. Mm. It was BBC, yeah. He still was within the BBC, the Jack and Ori boundaries, whereas here he's on CITV. And he can do what he bally well likes. He's much more animated and much more, much more Rick. Yes. In uh, Grim Tales. Anyway, yes, I, I laughed throughout... Good. Particularly Rapunzel. Uh, yeah, we got that out of the way up front. Rapunzel's definitely the best one. Oh, yes. I can't even remember why. It's just the most consistently funny, I think. The most laughs. It just everything kind of came together on that one. Then, one morning, a prince riding through the forest heard singing that was so wonderful, he pulled up his horse <laughs> and listened. <laughs> It was Rapunzel singing so beautifully. This was how she amused herself through all her lonely days. The prince immediately fell completely in love and desperately looked for the door to the tower. But there was none to be found. And suddenly, he smelled a really horrible, foul, smelly socks sort of smell and heard a squelching, burping sort of a noise. It was the witch. Quickly, the prince hid behind a lettuce and watched as the, and watched as the witch came up to the tower and called, Rapunzel! Rapunzel! Let down your hair! Oh, what a night. Then Rapunzel let down her shining hair and the witch climbed up by it. Hoo-hoo, said the prince. So that is how it's done. Ha! Huh. I must try that for myself. So that evening, when the witch had gone, which you could tell by not going every time he went. The prince went to the tower and called out, Rapunzel, Rapunzel, let down your hair. Core, what a night. So uh, we did watch four episodes, not just Rapunzel. We also watched uh, The Fisherman and His Wife, The Three Little Men in the Wood and The Twelve Huntsmen. Normally we only watch like three if it's a 20-minute show and two if it's a 50 minute show but as this is only a 10 minute show i was allowed special dispensation wasn't i you were so we got to watch four you came into my big room and i was up on my throne and you came in please sir please may we do four yes there was a lot of forelock tugging there was and i said all right just this once since you've been good (laughs) when am i ever good (laughs) it's relative oh fair enough So, can you give us the, I mean, I'm sure everybody knows the premise to Rapunzel, but 
tell us about it. Yeah, I was going to say Rapunzel is quite familiar. The other three will be less well known, I think. Yes. I haven't actually done any research on the Grimm stories, other than the fact to confirm that this telling of it seems to be quite authentic. They yes. haven't particularly sugarcoated it the the grimness and the brutality is still in there (laughs) and frankly we'd be disappointed if it wasn't a few years ago i read philip pullman's adaptation of a number of fairy tales i think that that was grim as well probably they did write a lot of them to be fair they wrote a lot and they are variations on a theme a lot of them which is why i think we only remember certain ones because there are a lot and they were all they were quite similar to each other yeah so we know that uh yes most people know that rapunzel is the one about the young girl she's um 13 worryingly she's imprisoned in a tall tower and she grows her hair really long so that the witch who has imprisoned her there can climb up it but one night a handsome prince finds her and is determined to rescue her. Yes, he is. But he can't do that straight away because in the manner of the farmer's boat with the chicken and the fox and the grain, he can climb up and climb down, but she can't. She can't climb down her own hair. The hair is attached to her. And see, if there had been a pillar, she could have tied the other end of her hair to, climb down and then cut it off and run away. You would think that. She, they, they could have both swung down together. Yeah, but presumably there was nothing. There wasn't anything to tie it to. Either that, or they just didn't think of it, or it was a conceit so that he would have to come back for a hundred nights with another link of thread, so that she could weave a ladder for herself. Yeah, they didn't think to just get a ladder. No, he didn't say it's all right. You don't have to weave anything. I'm, I'm a, yeah, don't I'm weave a prince. And. <laughs> Uh, I will I will bring a ladder, I will bring servants. Knock a hole in the bottom so we can climb up anything. No, no, he wasn't a very forward-thinking prince. All he knew was that he loved Rapunzel because he heard her singing so beautifully. <laughs> it's, again, probably one of the ones that is most quoted in our house, especially lines like... Oh. I'm so happy, Cottontail, she said. <laughs> so am I, wobbly bottom. <laughs> um, definitely, any time any of us goes for a haircut, or indeed when any of my boy cats have had to go for the little operation, the phrase snip snap off came the lot is used. <laughs> Poor cats. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think he's... He's he's very good at being a kid, and he's very good at de- delivering lines. Yes, uh, like or phrases like "wobbly bottom." Yes, one of the things I was sort of one of my considerations whilst watching this and looking into it is, you know, how much of the humour is his work and how much of the humour is from the adaptation. And I was looking to Anne Caulfield, who who adapted them, and I'm presuming it's the same person as Annie Caulfield. Let's go with that. Yeah, it's not much of a stretch of imagination to. <laughs> Do think that Anne Colfield and Annie Colfield are the same person? She is. She was. She's not around anymore, sadly. She's one of those people that seems to do a bit of everything very successfully. She so she did lots of uh, documentaries, particularly for radio. She appeared on the radio on the radio a lot. She wrote children's books. Uh, Katie Milk solves crimes. Is Annie Colfield's work? She um, started as a, as a joke writer for Lenny Henry. Oh, which makes me think that it probably was it her because probably it actually derives from her. Lenny Henry and Rick, they were all in the same kind of yes. This is it. Yeah, social circle. As it were. She uh, also script edited The Real McCoy. Did you ever see The Real McCoy? No. It was a 90s sketch show, and I don't remember much about it other than the Jamaican Doctor Who sketch, which was essentially a clip from Earthshock dubbed into Jamaican, and it is still one of the funniest things I've ever seen in my life. I was crying. Good evening, and welcome to Channel 9, broadcasting to Kingston and the surrounding areas. Coming up tonight, we have some classic programs for you uh, from the BBC, which have been specially dubbed for we. Starting at 7.30. Starting at 7.30 with Doctor Who, having some trouble with some Cyberman. Hey, oh, I'm asking now. Listen, there's a Cyberman. You just said that. You just said that. You don't look like no Dalek to me. Hey, you know, you're so much coming a Cyber now, man. You can't see me as a Cyber now, aren't you, man? Yeah. Hey, anybody out there want to play a, a Dalek? Hey, hey, don't walk with me. I thought you know. Don't bother turning back from. Hey, he's a fat man. He's a bad man. Hey. It looks to me 
It looks to me like big trouble for Doctor Who. You better mind the Cyberman, don't box him. Otherwise, you could end up being Doctor What, much less who. When I did a little bit of reading up, I was also quite surprised that Anthony Horowitz also did some of the adaptations. Yeah, did he do the second series? Or I think I think these were all Anne Caulfield ones. Quite possibly, yeah. Anthony Horowitz has been one of my favourite writers since I was about 13. And we did um, one of his books. The um, we, we did a book called South by Southeast featuring a private detective named Tim Diamond, who is the worst private detective in the world, and his younger and far more capable, intelligent brother, Nick. We used to have those English lessons, you know, where where we all read everything out loud and everybody yeah. took turns of doing their own, of, of doing the dialogue and, like, somebody would do the narration and, and stuff. I couldn't get through any lesson without just being helpless. It was like, just imagine somebody making the yak joke. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I properly, properly lost it. Um, again, I, it was like the second time, really, that I thought to myself, oh, my goodness, I want to do this. I want to... It reinforced that I want to make people laugh by writing funny things. I was surprised, but then it all made sense when I when I discovered that Anthony Horowitz had, had written some of the Grim Tales. Uh, I know he gets nowadays. He's getting quite bad press for certain comments that he's made, and I'm not going to say anything about any of that. And my feelings towards it are my own. Okay, I, I, I I'm none the wiser. Uh, he, he's a little bit more controversial than I think he ever intended to be. Oh dear. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> so yeah, I um, as a writer, I love him. Everything that I've read and everything that because he's he's been screenwriter for so many things. Everything that I've read that he's written and everything that I've seen that he's written, I have just loved in so many different ways. And I, I think he's a just a very inspirational writer. Um, if you haven't read or seen any of Anthony Horowitz's work, then please do. So Rapunzel. Rick Mail has an awful lot of talents, but I feel like potentially his best talent is playing a witch. He's very good at that, isn't he? Yes. The way he can contort his mouth has always fascinated me. It literally goes square. <laughs> I know that people have said about him that like, yeah, he was an incredibly beautiful man, but he could make himself really, really ugly. Yeah. He was very good at being ugly. Uh, I think I feel like he properly reveled in that. But <laughs> but but also by the same token, he I mean he he wasn't like the the least attractive man who ever walked the face of the earth by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, but one of my favourite brief moments in in Rapunzel is unbeknownst to them, Rapunzel had grown into the most beautiful child under the sun, a bit like me. A bit like me. A bit like me. Yes, that's what I wrote down as well. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Uh, it's just honestly, we could go through every single line. We could, and we probably shouldn't. We probably shouldn't. There's there's a special code, and I feel like we need to we need to mention this special code because it is one of the funniest moments. When the witch wants to go and visit Rapunzel in the tower, she stands underneath the window and yells, "Rapunzel, Rapunzel, let down your hair!" Cool one night. Ho ho," said the prince. "So that is how it's done." And later on, he, you know, once the witch had gone, he goes to her window and yells, "Rapunzel, Rapunzel, let down your hair! Cool, what a night!" Which just always <laughs> crack me up so much. Like, ah, yes, cool, what a night must be, <laughs> must be the clincher. <laughs> I like that the prince is essentially Noel Coward as well. <laughs> <laughs> the prince climbed up, but instead of finding his dearest Rapunzel, there was the witch. Ha ha ha! She screeched. Surprise! Bosh! And the prince fell backwards out of the window. But luckily, he landed on a bush. Phew. Unluckily, it was a thorn bush which scratched out his eyes. Yeah, I like that they do keep in the story beats. They don't, they don't dwell on the nasty bits. They sort of just make it part of the narrative they don't sort of they they don't really go into the, the the real ghoulishness of it but they also don't spare you so his eyes are scratched out and then he's he's wandering blindly looking for his lost love and she's starving to death in the desert thirsty uh, and she's got twins 
that's quite glossed over as well. It's never um, developed on where these twins have come, have come from. We know where the twins have come from. Yes. It's not just rope ladders they've been building. Oh, no. In the tower. They've been doing other things. Yeah. Uh, they've been playing Scrabble all right. <laughs> they certainly have. <laughs> and then they find each other. And it's all wonderful and lovely. And Rapunzel cries. And two of her tears fall into the prince's eyes. And they restore his sight. It also has little bits of animation in. And they're very sort of nice tactile. It's not hand-drawn animation. It's tactile, collage animation. Yeah. It's different. It seems to be different people in every episode. This is the one uh, I like the most. This is by Jill Bradley. It reminded me a lot of... People might have seen it on YouTube, and if, if you haven't seen it, I really recommend it. Somebody's done uh, some videos for some of the psychedelic Rolling Stones songs, so certainly she's a rainbow and however thousand light years... Has it 5,000 light years from home? I always forget the title of that one. I don't know. It would, it would involve me having to listen to the Rolling Stones. <laughs> Those are good ones, though. And possibly child of the moon as well maybe we love you but anyway somebody's done animations for those and they are absolutely gorgeous so i recommend looking that out but yes it reminded me a lot of that the very sort of dreamy collage like it's not just drawings it's objects being animated as well and it's very evocative so it goes well it's there's a whole brock and ghoulish sort of atmosphere to the whole thing so that was rapunzel Mm. the next one that we watched was the fisherman and his wife Can you please explain this to us? This is a story about greed. It's about a fisherman who catches a very ugly fish and decides he doesn't want to eat it, not least because it's a talking fish. Uh, I think who is a prince. There's usually a prince involved here somewhere. An enchanted prince. Yes, and the fisherman's wife, sensing a good deal, sends her meek husband back to speak to the fish and see if they can get some wishes. And essentially, whatever she wishes for, she's not content with, and she keeps wishing for more and more and more until she wishes to be ruler of the entire universe. Yes. At which point they are both reverted back and they have to live in the pigsty in which they had been initially living when it all started so it's basically an 11 minute treatise on don't be greedy be happy with what you've got if somebody gives you something nice don't keep asking for more yeah uh, because you might get it all taken away from you and i have sat through entire three-hour shakespeare plays which essentially say the same thing this did it in 11 minutes bish bosh bash thank you very much i won't be greedy now uh, so i approve of that i forgot you were too on, on a too lofty plane shakespeare <laughs> it's uh, not my cup of tea no i'm too lowbrow for shakespeare mm. although obviously the, the greed thing is is quite an overt theme i think there's also quite an argument to be made for it about learning to stand up for yourself yes because if the husband had just said no I don't need to go and ask the fish for anything mm. because I just did a nice thing for someone. It was no big deal. Just leave it. Or if when the, you'd come back to the nice house, because to be fair, it would be nicer to live in a nice house than a pigsty. Mm, not a pigsty, yeah. If she, when she'd said, I, I want a stone castle, he'd said, no, we live in a really nice house. Just compare it to the pigsty we used to live in. It's it's a palace of our own. Exactly. Yeah. Stop getting ideas above your station. If he at any point had developed a backbone, none of this story would have happened. Yes, it's knowing when to cut your cut your losses, or not cut your losses, knowing when to cut your gains, essentially, isn't it? And go, I'm happy with this. I've called in my favour. As my mum would say, you need to know when to put your foot down with a firm hand. <laughs> I think your, your mum supplies half of the material for this podcast. <laughs> I know, she's been dead for two years and now and she's still one of the funniest people I know. <laughs> oh, bless her. Uh, yes. One of the things I loved about this episode is the very last line after he's said, uh, and they ended up back in the pigsty with the pigs and they lose everything they gained. And they're still living there to this day. It's not my fault. <laughs> <laughs> the end. It's true, though. It's not his fault. It's it's entirely them and they're just <laughs> idiocy. Uh, but I really like the animation in this in This, this was very nice as well, wasn't it? I actually didn't write down who this was. I liked how how Rick became more into the story because of the animation. Like in the, the final going back to the fish, 
when his wife wants to be ruler of the entire universe and there's a big storm at the lake and the there's lightning and thunder the sea is black it's all angry and horrible and he's on the ch- the chair which he's running along and he's like cowering into it oh yes he's in the animation isn't he he's actually in it and it's all going on around him and i just think i just think it's a, it's a really beautiful piece of television just that mm. that moment it's absolutely gorgeous it feels very modern i think 1989 feels a lot more modern than say 1987 yeah. this is something i thought about not necessarily in regards to this show but just generally is that around about 1986 87 the 80s started to become very or 80s tv particularly 80s british tv started becoming very prepossessed with being street and being hip hop and being in your face and it's all about like you know wearing your cap backwards and suddenly all the old theme tunes that were once flute music and gentle Moog synthesizer and that sort of thing suddenly became all about orchestra hits and uh, sounding a bit like rap yes and a bit like hip hop and so Grange Hill went from its Alan Hawkshaw bizarre 70s wah wah you know the really familiar chicken man theme into being much more da 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 you know that sort of very staccato kind of thing that it went for and I think that was sort of 86 87 88 and then this is 89 and it's and things are sort of coming out of that and we're going into much more of that 90s eccentric quirky it feels a lot more modern it's the music isn't synthesizer music it's very eccentric it reminded me a lot of uh, vivian stanchel yeah the kind of music that he was doing sitting in the sunken garden thinking in the sinking sun Thinking of a summer long ago When one was twenty-one Naming all the flowers so friendly Shouting at the shrubs so thick Lo, behold, Lobelia One bite and the bishop was sick How nice to be in England Now that England is here I stand upright in my wheelbarrow And pretend I'm Bodicea and in fact, um, also the, the the general tone and feel of it, and the the chair with the ostrich legs and the weird, weird hands, it remind. There was an advert on uh, for Ruddles Real Ale that just seemed to be on all the time in the must be the late eighties or early nineties, which which was very very peculiar. And it was Vivian reading a poem. I didn't know who who he was at the time, so it was just an advert that was on and was quite impressively weird. And it was only later that Vivian would become one of my heroes. But it feels very like that. Malcolm the porcupine went to see if a moon of green cheese would float. He exhaled a spray of, will you go away to the land where the hoppity oats? He brewed Humpty of Ruddles, which he dumped in puddles and licked up whenever it snowed. In final confusion, it was only illusion. Malcolm porcupine said, I'll be blowed. Dawn French played Sir Henry Rawlinson. Of course. Which was quite fun. Not that there's anything wrong with like hip hop and street and all that kind of thing, but it did feel like we've we've taken, you know, black urban New York culture and imposed it onto children's television wholesale. It's like everything like in The Simpsons where like you know, the whole thing we have to have Poochie in there with his hat backwards and saying, you know, sort of these pat jive phrases as as filtered through white middle class middle aged TV executives, and it felt like that kind of thing. It was like, oh, kids are into hip hop now. Let's make everything a bit street. And suddenly, and suddenly, beat the teacher has to have a new theme tune. Everyone had to have a bit of attitude. Everybody had to put on their sassy pants. <laughs> They really did. <laughs> it's very true. There was an awful lot of trying to shoehorn, <laughs> shoehorn poor Britain into being into being American. <laughs> there was a bit, years. wasn't there? Yeah. And, and I think, I think in the end, rather than there being any kind of a rebellion against it, we all just got tired. <laughs> 
Like, oh God, this takes so much effort. So, oh, I say, gosh, how do how do how do they keep doing this all the time? I say, where do those Americans find the energy? I don't know. <laughs> so that's seven up the drink. <laughs> it must have been. It must have been all the diet coke breaks they had. That's all the Mountain Dew. Uh, okay, well, the next one is... What is the next one? The next one is the Three Little, three little men, men in the Wood. The wood. Please could you give us a little synopsis of this? I, I can try. I don't remember this one so well, even though I watched it more recently. Oh. I've written down it's the third horrible middle-aged woman in a row. Yeah. So we started off with the witch in the first one, and then the fisherman's wife in the next one, and then there's a widow in this one who has married a man. They've both got daughters. Uh, her daughter is appalling. His daughter is lovely. And so there is much jealousy... The awful stepmother banishes the nice daughter, the man's daughter, from the house because she's so jealous because her daughter's so awful. And she banishes her out into the snow, only wearing a paper dress Mm -hmm. and with only a small square of bread with salt on top to eat. And she meets three little men who live in the woods who talk like Rick from The Young Ones, except with Cyberman voices. Yes. Come in, come in, come in! The three men cried. Come, come in, come in, come and sit by the nice warm stove. They invite her in from the cold. They ask her for a piece of her bread uh, and she says, well, I don't have very much, but all right then, we'll, we'll break it into four and we can have a piece each. And then they make her go out, or they ask her to go out and clear away the snow. And under the snow is an enormous basket of strawberries, I think. Yes. A big magical basket of strawberries. And they give her lots of treats. Basically, every time she speaks, a, a, a gold coin falls from her mouth, which in the context of the story is a good thing. Yeah, I don't I don't know how practical that would be. Although I'd be minted by the time any episode of RetroTube finished. <laughs> Uh, I mean, obviously, these stories are hundreds of years old, and I think there was much more of a thing back in those days that your daughter was an asset. So if you could get her to marry a prince, you'd be minted. It's like, oh, the daughter's been enchanted and she's she's spitting gold. Bonus. So with no real consideration for, for how the daughter feels about this. But uh, as a family, we've won out. <laughs> Great. She's turned into a, a one-armed bandit. <laughs> Yeah, that would uh, that would have made a really nice nice touch if they'd have got that in. Uh, and also, yes, and and also uh, on my feminist high horse, Brothers Grimm really had an issue with women, didn't they? They didn't like them, did they? Middle aged ladies, they did not like at all. They do not. They don't come out well. They do not. And I wonder if the bad treatment that all the daughters get, they then become these horrible, bitter middle aged ladies because they've been treated so badly. Did you just faint? No, that I just bumped the microphone. Uh, <laughs> I, I had such a great notion. <laughs> I lost consciousness for a moment. <laughs> this is the best idea I've ever had. <laughs> Clonk. Um, <laughs> I don't know because I think the the good characters are painted as being so good that turning into these awful old ladies wouldn't even come into their minds. What happens uh, after the daughter comes back with the you know with the gold falling out of her mouth every time she speaks and becoming more and more beautiful every day the evil stepmother decides that she's got to try this out for herself so she gets the ugly horrible daughter and gives her a big fur coat and a big slice of chocolate cake and sends her off to find the three little men in the wood now i'm not being funny if anybody had sent me to find three little men in the wood i'd be made up (laughs) you weren't I would skip through the snow. Yeah, Steve, Maybe. Ronnie and Mac. Yes, I would be here for all of that. I, I really like to think now, it, next time I watch it, I really like to think that the three little men are in fact Steve, Ronnie and Mac. That'd be good, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it and in fact, it, it, it makes sense, because I feel like... Uh, Kenny's in his own house. I feel like Mac would, would be the one who would be like, who, the little one at the end who would say, you will, you know. <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> Another line that is quoted by us constantly, well, two from this episode, really. Look at the size of that one, everybody. <laughs> and keep it, keep it, keep it. Um, <laughs> but so, like, just when, whenever, like, you know, so you needed to pass something to somebody... And they said, thank you. We just automatically go, keep it, keep it, keep it. Uh, And and the baffled recipient would say, I was intending to. (laughs) Yeah. 
okay. We've oh, got a well. strange family. <laughs> the nasty daughter goes off to the woods. She finds the three little men. She's very rude to all of them. And she really upsets them. And as punishment for her general nastiness, they say that she'll become more ugly every day. Mm-hmm. That every time she speaks, a toad will fall out of her mouth. And that she will die a horrible death. Nice. You will, you know. You will, you know. I really like the bit towards the start where he does the the bogey flicking bit. Yes. Where like he's he's demonstrating how vulgar and awful that ugly daughter is that she picks her nose and then as he's carries on talking he's trying he's trying to flick off the imaginary bogey but it won't leave. But he's not he's not acknowledging that in the dialogue. It's just a thing he's doing with his hand. That's really nice. Yeah. It's a nice bit of business. And then and then he and then he wipes it on the paw of the chair. That's right. And, and the... then the, the chair the chair paw. <laughs> Spends most of the episode just like being all grossed out at its own paw because yes. it keeps on flexing, uh-huh. flexing its little claws. Like, oh. <laughs> I, I think that episode is possibly why I can't look at anybody who's wearing fingerless gloves um, oh. <laughs> because that's just all I can think of. So that was that. The next episode was the Twelve oh, Huntsmen. Huntsmen. It's about essentially about 12 girls wearing moustaches. That's the only part I remember. It's about... Oh, it's about the usual royal shenanigans. I mean, there's only... Royal shenanigans. There's only so much grim fairy tale one can retain in one's mind. There were only four. It's royal shenanigans. It's somebody's promised to marry someone and then they're then promised to marry somebody else and nobody wants the marriage. And So it's a prince who he's in love with one girl mm-hmm. promises he marries her, he'll marry her and then uh, his name is Stefan and he is French but occasionally he is northern he is uh, yes. I think it was him is occasionally northern occasionally talks like this but then the rest of the time he is French his father is the king uh, he is dying he seems to be an Adrian Edmondson impersonation ah dear Stefan I'd like you to get married oh 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 good said Stefan. Yeah, I'd like you to marry Princess Ethelberger, daughter of Mad King Ralph. Oh, oh dear, said Stefan. But he had to agree, because when someone's dying, it's kindest to do as they ask. Oh, oh, oh yes, Fadera, of course, if you say so. If you have to do lots of voices, you might as well do an impression of your best mate. I do impressions of you a lot. <laughs> I'm glad to hear it. <laughs> and so there's a whole thing of the girl who didn't get married. For some reason, finding 11 other girls who look like her, although that's it's never... It's never specified why. No. Uh, and they all pretend to be huntsmen, so they wear false moustaches. And this, this, this is a plot in or, a plan. It's not really a plot. It, it's a plan in order, so, in order for her to be near him, so she feels less abandoned. She feels less alone. That if, if he's going to marry someone else, at least she can be near him. And luckily for her, uh, neither of them are really into the marriage. So mm. there's a good chance that this will all work out all right. And there is also a lion involved who talks like a mix between Kenneth Williams and Eddie Izzard. I got a bit more George Sanders. George Saunders. Is it George Sanders? George Saunders. I got a bit more George Saunders out of it. One evening, a lion said to the king, uh, Listen, Steve, I suppose you think you've got 12 huntsmen working for you. Hmm? <laughs> well, no, you're very much mistaken. They are 12 girls he says they are not boys they are girls uh so in order to test this Adam, out you've got to say it properly they are not 12 huntsmen they are 12 girls that's right that's it so in order to test this out um much in the vein of the princess and the pea uh peas are used and yes uh if you put dried peas on the floor Men will just stomp on them because men are heavy and stomp about like thugs. They do. But women are dainty and light and they will skitter and skate about all over the place and fall over. Eleven of the huntsmen are like, oh my goodness, every time we've walked on peas, we've always slipped and fallen over. And Finella, the lady who is in love with Stefan, says, don't worry girls, it's fine. We know that this test is coming, so we will just practice tonight. And so they get some dried peas from the kitchen and they practice walking on peas until their feet were sore. And then the next day, they just trampled over the peas like they weren't even there. And Stefan, at this time, is absolutely fuming with the lion because he thinks that the lion has lied to him. 
And he thinks that the lion is jealous because the huntsmen are getting the attention that the lion used to get. And the lion's like, no, 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 it's not that. They were they were told, they were, they were warned in advance, so they practised. The lion says, what you need to do, Steve, is... That's very Eddie Izzard. It's, it's, it's the name Steve. That was the, the early Eddie Izzard routines always has people called Steve in them a lot. I have never, ever, since the first time I saw this episode, have been able to call somebody Steve. It always has to be <laughs> Steve. <laughs> well, I think... It- are these girls getting paid? What's in it for them? They're definitely getting paid, but I don't really know what's in it for them. They have no real need to be in the story apart from making up the numbers. <laughs> no, they are they the have extras no... of the show. They have no skin in the game. So at this point, um, Stefan began to grow very fond of his 12 huntsmen, uh, who, who, to my mind, should all be called Bob. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Fenella and the Bobs. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Once, once the truth came out, they they formed a, a pop band. <laughs> <laughs> he's yes, he's starting yeah. to get some very funny feelings about his his boy uh, huntsman. Yes, he's getting little little sensations in his tongue <laughs> and other places. And uh, they all go out hunting one day because they are huntsmen after all, even though they're not. Finella has an accident; she falls off the horse, and for some reason. Because Stefan is a king, so he doesn't really need to be trained in first aid. But he feels that the first thing he ought to do to try and help somebody who has been thrown from a horse will be to take to take his gloves off. Because obviously that's going to help. <laughs> when he takes the glove off, he sees a ring that he has given to Fenella. And he realises... I thought she seemed familiar. Ah, yes. And then he takes her moustache off. And he's like, where the hell did you get this? This is awful. <laughs> How did I not see through your stupid disguise in the first place? And they get married. They live happily ever after. The king writes to Ethelberg and says, listen up, I'm already in love with somebody else. I'd much rather marry her. And Ethelberg's like, do you know what? That's great because I really did not want to marry you. I'm so happy with my encyclopedias. And he forgives the lion and all is well between them. And uh, can I call you Steve again? said the lion. Of course you can, said the king. Call me what you like. So the lion called him Gordon. Which is one of the nicest endings to a story ever. <laughs> Particularly a grim story. Like, no, this is one of the few grim stories in which no one was made, like sealed into a barrel or made to dance to death in hot, red-hot iron shoes or prickled all over with a by an anthropomorphised hedgehog or burnt to death or was crushed none of that it was actually quite a quite a sweet tale it's quite a sweet little story rather yeah. than a grim tale mm. but yes it was lovely and i was note. a big fan mm. and also as as a gordon tracy fan i also agree that gordon is a much nicer name <laughs> so just and it all comes back to tracy island in the end it always does it always does and i don't know why anybody <laughs> would ever doubt that um so they were all of the four episodes. Yeah. Um, so I just need to ask you a few little questions. Uh, which was your favourite and least favourite story? I mean, you already know it was Rapunzel. I think that one had the most laughs. Defo, yeah, I agree. Did I have a least favourite story? I don't know if I had a least favourite story as such. No, I mean, they're all quite good, weren't they? You don't really have a least favourite story when Rick Mail's reading to you. That seems rude. No, <laughs> they're, 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 all pretty, they're all pretty solid, aren't they? Rick Mail's taking time out of his day... To read me yeah. a story, and then I go back and say, Rick, I didn't like that one. What kind of person do you think I am? Yeah, I would agree. I think Rapunzel is my favourite. I don't have I don't have a least favourite. Yeah, for the same reason. They're reasons. just all brilliant. They're all, good, all they? brilliant. Um, which was your favourite and least, el- least favourite element of the show? I mean, in anything that involves Rick Mail, your favourite element is going to be Rick Mail, isn't it, really? <laughs> he's, um, he's a force of nature. He's gone from starting out as he's part of the alternate comedy scene, but, but like his early acts were were very just physical comedy and just almost like performance art, and then going from that into now I think considered a national treasure. I would say, like I the, would say the affection definitely. with which people hold him now, uh, possibly my least favourite element. Uh, it might just be the grim tales themselves. Uh, they're they're of another time. 
they're a little gruesome for my delicate sensibilities, but, but I think more than that, they can be a little bit repetitive if you watched several in a row. Or And like I say, I read the Philip Pullman book and, yeah, you do start to very quickly see patterns and, and they can be much of a muchness if they're not the famous, well-known ones, much like Shakespeare plays. Um, You're really coming out for this, <laughs> though, aren't you? <laughs> I am. So I, I'm not anti-grim as such because they're you know a fascinating historical document and it's a fascinating look at the way people thought at the time and the and sort of the way that they tried to uh, express their morality and and they they often impart good lessons about not being greedy or not being selfish or not being rude to people but also there are lots of gruesome executions which possibly we don't do anymore no i mean i I like the fact that you said possibly it's woke culture gone mad that we can no longer push two women to a barrel and then throw them down a hill till they die the snowflakes these millennials okay so uh i mean i feel like i'm guessing the question the the answer to this question but would you watch it again? I would, yeah. I, I would like to see an, a nicer, like an actual broadcast version rather than the one that seems several generations old on YouTube. Yes, so I can yes. please, somebody somewhere who has the rights and the original footage, please, please release them on DVD. I kept wanting to wipe my glasses. Right, so that's that. Um... Thank you very, very much for watching some of my favourite television from back in the day. Almost cut my hair. And thank you, everybody, for listening in. It has been another absolute joy. Um, If you would like to get in touch with us at any point, you're more than welcome to. On Twitter, our um, address is at retro underscore tube. If you aren't a big fan of Twitter, because some people aren't, uh, you can always email us. That would be great. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, Our email address is retrotubepodcast at gmail.com. And we are always happy to hear from you and we will always get back to you. That's all from me. I have definitely exhausted my all of my uh, vocabulary for the day. <laughs> Would you like to give us the last word, Adam? I feel sorry for the elephant. This is Adam S. Leslie, co-host of this very podcast. My folk horror novel, Lost in the Garden, is now out and available in all good bookshops, including Blackwells and Waterstones. Don't talk to strangers, don't play on the farm, and don't go to Almondby. Heather's on-off boyfriend Stephen has gone to the mysterious village of Almondby. He went for two weeks, and no one has seen him in six months. The only trace of him which remains is his voice, distantly calling for help, drifting across the fizz of shortwave radio. With a couple of friends in tow, Heather sets off through a warped, distended version of the English countryside, baking in perpetual summer, to track Stephen down, and to find out for herself why everyone says, don't go to Almondby. Author Eric LaRocca called Lost in the Garden eerily enchanting and profoundly inventive, a dreamy and unsettling masterwork. This is one of the freshest and most spiritually rewarding novels I've read in quite some time. And author Matt Wazilowski described it as like trying to recall a troubling and beautiful dream. It's like peering through a wound in the world, sorrowful and uncanny and utterly stunning. This book is magnificent, like nothing I've ever read before. Thank you, Matt and Eric. Lost in the Garden by Adam S. Leslie, published by Dead Ink Books, priced at ten ninety nine. Look for the pink and white cover.